But today we're continuing on with our Rebuilder series, and we're doing a study on the book of Nehemiah. And last week, Pastor kicked us off, and he kind of talked about if you're going to rebuild anything, you have to know why. you got to know the why if you're going to do something important. Well, today I want to continue on with that, and I want to talk about this idea of building and battling. Because when Nehemiah undertook this endeavor to rebuild the walls of Jerusalem, there was a battle that came along with that. And uh, today, I just want to give you a little bit of background to get us started. So Nehemiah was this Israelite. Now, the nation of Israel was yanked out of their land by Babylon and replanted in another land. They left just a small remnant behind. But imagine being yanked out of this country and taken somewhere else. Imagine being pulled out of your own country and being forced to live somewhere else. This is where Nehemiah was. He was an Israelite who was pulled out of his country and forced to live in Babylon. And and in, in, in Nehemiah 1, verse 2 through 4, Nehemiah goes to the king. He's the cupbearer of the king. He's in a prestigious role. But he asks some of the other Jews that were from back home, he says, I asked them about the Jews who had returned from captivity and about how things were going in Jerusalem. They said to me, things are not going well for those who have returned to the province of Judah. They are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem has been torn down and the gates have been destroyed by fire. When I heard this, I sat down and wept. In fact, for days I mourned, fasted, and prayed to the God of heaven. He is wrecked over the fact that his homeland is destroyed. He's wrecked over the fact that the walls that were protecting his city are just decimated by fire. And so the king notices this. And so in Nehemiah chapter 2, verse 1, it says, early the, fo- early the following spring, in the month of Nisan, during the 20th year of King Artaxerxes' reign, I was serving the king his wine. I had never before appeared sad in his presence, so the king asked me, Why are you looking so sad? You don't look sick to me. You must be deeply troubled. Now, when you're talking to a king, you don't actually talk to the king unless he asks you a question because you might die in the process. You don't speak unless spoken to. So thank God he was spoken to. And so he responds and he says, I was terrified, but I replied, long live the king. How can I not be sad? For the city where my ancestors are buried is in ruins, and the gates have been destroyed by fire. The king asks, well, how can I help you? With a prayer to God of heaven, he is praying underneath his breath as this is being asked. And he says, if it please the king, and you are pleased with me, your servant, send me to to Judah to rebuild the city where my ancestors are buried. The king, with the queen sitting beside him, asked, How long will you be gone? When will you return? And after I told him how long I'd be gone, the king agreed to my request. It's kind of a miracle that the king says yes to this. And so he sends Nehemiah back, not just by himself, but with troops, with resources, with everything he needed to rebuild the walls. And so he undertakes this project to restore dignity to his homeland. But if you've ever done anything important for God, you know there's always a battle that comes along with building, isn't there? When I was in high school, 
I was in ninth grade, actually. Um, I had never learned how to fight. No one had ever taught me how to fight. Maybe my dad didn't. I just don't remember it. But I don't remember ever learning how to throw a punch or anything. And one day in ninth grade, a fight came looking for me. I didn't have to go looking for it. It showed up on my doorstep. And so there was this breezeway between the junior high and the high school. And I had to walk down every day to go to band. And all of a sudden, this guy decides he wants to dig his shoulder into me. I didn't even know who he was. Who are you? Why are you doing this? You're a grade underneath me. <laughs> every day for a week, this guy does this. So did I mention I don't know how to fight? Cool. So what I did instead is I had my friend go up ahead of me. And I had him dig his shoulder into him. And when that happened, it had rained the day before, and I pushed the guy down in a mud puddle, laughed at him, and ran off. <laughs> Very brave. Very brave. That was Friday. On Monday, he didn't want to dig his shoulder into me anymore. He wanted to throw hands. And that's what he did. Did I mention I don't know how to fight? I did watch a lot of wrestling. Not like real wrestling, like WWF, WWE stuff. That's what I watched. Some of you have watched it too, I can see. All I knew to do was take my backpack off and just start wailing on this dude with my backpack. And then at one point, I got the bright idea from WWF to grab a hold of his hair and to proceed to try to ram his head into a metal pole. It didn't work. Calm down, it's okay, he didn't die. My hand slipped out of his hair because he had so much product in there. <laughs> then he takes off running, and to make myself appear more tough than I was, I said, yeah, you better run. Hold me back, hold me back. No one held me back. So then I get done with that. I go to my band teacher and I say, I got into a fight and got both of us two days of ISS. So if that doesn't tell you everything you need to know about me, I don't know what will. <laughs> I get in a fight and I tell on myself, congratulations, Dustin. Did I mention I don't know how to fight? There are times in life when you face opposition from all kinds of places and you may not know how to fight. No one may have taught you how to do battle, but it shows up on your doorstep and you got to figure it out in the moment. This is where Nehemiah was. He showed up to do what God told him to do and he faced battles. So what about you? Where, where have you stepped out for God lately? Maybe it's as simple as you raised your hand during the prayer at the end. You said, I want to live different. I want to belong to Jesus. You gave your life to Christ. Maybe it was you got baptized. We had those seven people last week that got baptized or recommitted their baptism. I imagine they experienced some opposition this week. Maybe it's just that you wanted to read your Bible more faithfully or pray more consistently. Or maybe you just want freedom in your life from hangups and, and addictions in your life. And you're starting to get some traction. And then all of a sudden you wonder why you're just getting it from all sides. Or maybe it's as simple as that God has laid something deep on your heart. And you're trying to follow him and be obedient to what he's called you to do. Where have you been trying to live for God and you are experiencing opposition? You are fighting battles just simply because you were trying to be faithful. We all face it. We all face opposition. And sometimes you think, what's the point of even trying to do the right thing if all I experience is problems in return? 
Well, it's because we got to learn how to fight. So Nehemiah, we're going to pick up in Nehemiah 4. He's gotten some traction. He's gotten some work done on this wall. But he also encountered some adversaries. So there's a couple of names. There's a guy named Sanballat and another guy named Tobiah. These are going to be my first kid's name. Uh, kid, Kim doesn't know this yet, but <laughs> our first son will be Tobiah Sanballat. Weird names. They were from people surrounding Israel. Just think when you hear their names, bad guy. Not good. Like actually bad guys opposing Israel. And so Nehemiah has to deal with these two guys. And so in Nehemiah 4 verse 1, if you have a Bible on your phone or even a physical copy, you can follow along. But it starts with this. Sam Ballot was very angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. When you go to rebuild something, it doesn't make everyone happy. You, you really hack some people off sometimes when you try to rebuild something. So Sam Ballot was angry when he learned that we were rebuilding the wall. He flew into a rage and mocked the Jews, saying in front of his friends and the Sumerian army officers, what does this bunch of poor, feeble Jews think they're doing? Do they think they can build the wall in a single day just by offering a few sacrifices? Do they actually think they can make something of stones from a rubbish heap and charred ones of that? And then Tobiah the Ammonite, who was standing beside him, remarked, that stone wall would collapse if even a fox walked along the top of it. It's a sick burn. Like your wall is so weak, if a fox was on top of it, it would just crumble to the ground. But like, this is how it works. It's the first tactic sometimes is, is they try to humiliate you. They ridicule you. They, they try to make you feel like you're an idiot for doing the thing that you're doing. Now, maybe you've experienced that in your own mind where you've tried to make a difference in your life. You tried to experience change in your life. In your mind, you're like, you're not gonna be any different. You're not gonna fix this. How do you expect to change? How do you expect that you can actually do something significant in your life? How do you expect that you can actually be used by God in a mighty way? How do you think you're actually going to be free from this addiction? These are the thoughts I'm sure you've encountered in your own mind, where your mind is just going after you, trying to get you discouraged. Now, sometimes it's not just your own mind. Sometimes it's people. You have people around you that try to ridicule you that try to mock you, that try to dissuade you or discourage you. It comes from all places. But often the opposition starts with ridicule. Now, here's what I love. Nehemiah doesn't defend himself. He doesn't defend the work he's doing. He doesn't say anything to these guys. I love what he does instead. It said that he, uh, in Nehemiah 4, verse, chapter 4, verse 4, says that he prays. He, he takes it to the Lord and says, you do something about this. You defend me. You advocate for me. You stand up for me. And he says in verse 4, hear us, O God, for we are being mocked. May their scoffing fall back on their own heads, and may they themselves become captives in a foreign land. Do not ignore their guilt. Do not blot out their sins, for they have provoked you to anger here in front of the builders. So what is he saying? They're freaking everybody out. 
God, you need to do something because they're freaking our troops out. And so then he says, and then continuing on, at last the wall was completed to half its height around the entire city for the people had worked with enthusiasm. So I guess this prayer did something. I guess when he took his complaint to the Lord, something happened and they found new strength, new energy, new enthusiasm. And isn't that the way it works? Because when we try to defend ourselves, it never goes well. I am the worst person to defend myself because it just makes it worse. But when you take it to the Lord, he has a way of defending you that no one else can. And he can give you new strength, new hope, new enthusiasm to continue on the work. And that's what happens. And matter of fact, they get the wall half its height. Probably not that That's not going to be very imposing if that's half. So it's probably like more. But they get it halfway. They're getting it done. He finds strength from the Lord. And matter of fact, uh, the psalmist teaches this in Psalm 57 when he says, My enemies have set a trap for me. I am weary from distress. They have dug a deep pit in my path, but they themselves have fallen into it. And then he says this, My heart is confident in you, O God. My heart is confident. No wonder I can sing your praises. When you are confident in the Lord, you can sing praise right in the middle of your mess. You can actually have enthusiasm and encouragement right in the middle of the battle. My heart is confident in you, oh God. What a beautiful psalm. And what a beautiful reminder to draw our confidence from the Lord. And so they do. And in Nehemiah 4, verse 7, they find more opposition. Uh, so when Samballot and Tobiah, they heard that the work was going ahead and that the gaps in the wall of Jerusalem were being repaired, they were furious. They all made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. But we prayed to our God and guarded the city day and night to protect ourselves. Then the people of Judah began to complain. The workers are getting tired and there's so much rubble to be moved. We will never be able to build the wall by ourselves. So the next move that the enemy takes to try to discourage you is intimidation. We're going to kill you. We're going to hurt your family. We're going to steal everything from you. We're going to take your job from you. We're going to take your money from you. We're going to take it all from you. Because if they intimidate you enough, maybe you finally bow. And so there's this intimidation because it says that they made plans to come and fight against Jerusalem and throw us into confusion. And as a result, the people start to complain. Ever been there? Ever been through so much opposition that you start to complain? So the rumors start to circulate against the Jews, attacks from all sides, discouragement and fear set in. And Nehemiah directs his people back to the Lord. He prays, but he doesn't just pray. In Nehemiah 4.14, he says, As I looked over the situation, I called together the nobles and the rest of the people, and I said to them, Don't be afraid of the enemy. Remember the Lord who is great and glorious and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your homes. So we can respond to battles in a numerous amount of ways. We, we can complain. We can begin to criticize other people. We can even start to hurt and attack other people. But we can also fold. We can get discouraged because you fought so many battles, battle after battle, that you start to just kind of lose hope. 
you get tired of building and battling. And at some point, you just want to quit. And in that moment, Nehemiah says, we're not going to quit. We're picking up swords. We're not backing down from the work we've been called to. We're going to pick up a weapon. We're, we're going to keep pressing. We're going to keep working. And from that time on, half the men worked with the, while the other half guarded. But even the men who worked, it says this in, in Nehemiah 4, verse 15. When our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated, frustrated them, which, by the way, when you entrust your defense to the Lord, sometimes he frustrates your enemies for you. You don't got to do nothing. But be faithful. He has a way of frustrating your enemies for you. So when our enemies heard that we knew of their plans and that God had frustrated them, we all returned to our work on the wall. But from then on, only half my men worked while the other half stood guard with spears, shields, bows, and, courts, and coats of mail. The leaders stationed themselves behind the people of Judah who were building the wall. The laborers carried on their work with one hand supporting the load and one hand holding a weapon. All the builders had a sword belted to their side. The trumpeter stayed with me to sound the alarm. When the attacks get intense, you can fold. You can complain. You can criticize. You can cast blame. You can do whatever you want to do. Or you can pick up a sword. And if you got to hold that wall up with one hand and defend it with the other, so be it. But you dig in and you choose to fight. You choose to fight for what's important. You choose to fight for what you believe in. You stand your, because it's not just for you. The battle is not just for you. It's for the people you love. He says, fight for your sons and your daughters, your sisters and brothers, your mothers and fathers. Fight for the people you care about. And so you keep fighting for them because he wasn't going to get encouragement from his circumstances. He wasn't looking around seeing like, oh, we're, we're getting it done. He's looking around thinking like, oh, geez, we got like forever to get before we're going to get this done. So he's not getting encouragement from his circumstances. He certainly can't wait for encouragement from people because they're freaked out. They're not going to help him or they're opposing him. So he had to go straight to the source. He had to go to the one place where he could get consistent encouragement, confidence, and strength. And that is to the Lord. It is only in the Lord that we find what we need to stand our ground and continue to fight even when we're tired of fighting. And I imagine that there are some of you today that have been fighting a lot of battles. It's, it's hard not to live in a COVID world and not fight some battles. And I imagine some of you are tired. And I just want to say first, I'm sorry. Like, I'm sorry that it's been so hard for so long. But also, I want to say that there's still hope. No matter how bad it seems, no matter how tired you feel, there's still hope. There's still hope for you because God is still on the throne. He's still for you. And even when it seems like you are surrounded by troubles, he has a way of standing in the gap for you and giving you what you need to keep standing another day. Because God is good. God is for you. 
and he will work all things together for the good of those who love him. That's what Roman 8 tells us, right? We all have a spiritual enemy that opposes us. I'm not really one to talk about the devil very often because I feel like that gets thrown around a little too much, but it's real. We have a spiritual enemy that hates you. He's not just indifferent. He hates you, particularly whenever you get serious about following Jesus. He wants you to stop whatever it is you've been given to do. We all have a wall. We all have a family to care for, a marriage to tend to, kids to raise. We have a job that we've been entrusted with, even if you hate it. We all have an assignment from the Lord. What is your wall? What is the wall that God has given you specifically to care for? Because you're the one to fight for it not someone else. I can't fight for your wall. You can't fight for mine. What is your wall? And where are you experiencing opposition to you fighting for that wall? So later on, um, Nehemiah basically uh, keeps his crew on point. They're working. They're getting this thing done. And at some point, Tobiah and Sam Ballot try to convince him to come down and have a conversation. No big deal. We just want to have a chat. We just want to talk. Let's have some coffee. No biggie except for the fact they've been trying to get him for like the whole time. I just hang out. It's cool. No, you're a tool. And I know what you're trying to do. And so Nehemiah says in Nehemiah 6, I cannot come down to meet with you because I am doing a great work. Why should the work stop while I come to meet with you? He sounds like a tool, doesn't he? But he's not. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. He knows his assignment. He knows that what he is doing is the most important thing for him to do. And I cannot come down to meet with you because I am doing an important work. To know that and to have that kind of focus is everything. We all need to keep our eye on the ball to stay focused in the season to the work you've been given to do. Faith is not, it's not a state where you never have doubts. It's when you get all the way up to the edge of quitting, all the way, and you say, no. No. You get all the way up to the edge of quitting, you say, no, I am doing a great work. I cannot come down. No, I'm not abandoning this project. I will not fold. I will not bail. I will stay in it. As a matter of fact, I'm picking up a sword now. Faith is not an absence of doubt. It is a refusal to quit. Because victories are won by a faith that refuses to fold. But it's only in the midst of opposition that your faith is tested that you get to see what kind of faith you really have. It's whenever God teaches you how to fight. There's this, there's this psalm that says, uh, you train my hands for war. You train my hands for war. You didn't know the Bible was that dope, did you? You train my hands for war. There's, there's a battle. There's a fight. And you don't have to figure it out. If you don't know how to fight, let God teach you how. 
There is a proper way to fight the battles of life, and he will teach you. He will train your hands for war. Because whether we like it or not, there's a war. And unfortunately, the enemy wins more and more every day. The more we get divided, the more we get at each other's throats. The enemy wins when the family of God turns on one another. You train my hands for war. Let God teach you how to fight properly. Don't fold, don't complain, don't grumble, don't criticize. Press in. Take your complaints to the Lord. Take your case to the Lord. Let him defend you because he will. He will be faithful. And I I actually found this really interesting in in Nehemiah 4.23. Nehemiah tells us that during this time, none of us, not I, not my relatives, not my servants, not the guards who were with me, no one ever took off our clothes. It took 52 days to rebuild this wall. You're in the same clothes for 52 days. Now, most of the dudes are like, ah, it's cool. We could probably go 53. But everyone else is like, that's nasty. That's gross. 52 days, you can't take your eye off the ball. We carried our weapons with us at all times, even when we went for water. No matter what you did, you had to keep your guard up because the enemy will come against you the second you drop your guard. He's not stupid. He's smart. I don't like to give him too much credit because at the end of the day, he is a defeated enemy. But he's smart enough to watch for the moment when you drop your guard. And bam, that's when he's going to hit you. Even the moments when you do something incredible for God, you need to keep your guard up. Because the next day, he's coming for you. Don't think that getting baptized, you're going to get to walk away the next day without any kind of opposition. Because it's going to come immediately. Anytime you do something important for God, the battle is coming for you. And you have to be committed to building and battling, building and battling, building and battling. Even when you get tired, you draw strength from the Lord. You are committed. You are dug in. I don't have time to come down and talk with you because I'm building and battling. I'm doing something important. And so the question is, is what opposition are you facing today? Where are the battles coming at you from? Don't freak out. Don't fold. Don't complain. Don't criticize. Draw strength from the Lord. Draw confidence from the Lord because you can have it. Your heart can be confident in him if you want it. Turn to the Lord and draw hope, encouragement, and strength from him. Because imagine this. We all know life is hard. Life is A, not fair, and B, hard, right? We've all figured that out if you've lived any amount of life. There's going to be battles for the rest of our lives. But imagine getting to a point where you're not afraid of the fight. Imagine getting to a point where you're not scared of spiritual opposition because you've learned how to fight. Matter of fact, the more and more you get confident in God, the more and more you learn how to fight properly, here's what's happening. Your enemy starts to become afraid of you. Your enemy starts to become afraid of you. You become a threat in a good way because you can't be, you can't be shaken. You can't be taken off your post. He can't get to you the way he's always gotten to you. Your enemy is scared to death of you when you start to take ground for God. Who needs Sanballat and Tobiah? 
They're morons. You stay at the post and you keep fighting and you become scary to the opponents because you're not easily moved. Victories are won by a faith that refuses to fold. Because the more confident you become in God, the more you learn how to build and battle, the more you make a difference in this world, the more you become a threat to your spiritual enemy, and the more that God can trust you to take back more and more ground for him because you are rooted in him. Let's pray. God, we thank you because you are good. You are faithful, you are true. Even when we face battles, you're with us. We are confident in you, oh God. We are confident in you. So right now for the people in the room who just feel weary from battling, building and battling, would you comfort them? Would you encourage them? Would you give them new hope, new strength and new confidence? God, I pray that you would just stir up an army of people who know how to fight properly for you. But I also know there's probably some people in the room, some people joining us online that they haven't made the decision to follow you, Jesus. They haven't crossed the line to give their lives to you. Perhaps today is your day. If that's you, today is your day. The scripture tells us that if you will confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is Lord, you can be a new creation today. Not tomorrow, not a month from now, today. And so I wanna invite you to take that step. Don't wait. Today is your day. And so if that's you, I want you to pray this prayer with me. Matter of fact, everyone pray this prayer with me so no one has to pray alone. Pray this, say, Father, I confess my sin to you. I know I've missed the mark. And yet you are faithful. I receive your grace today. I acknowledge you as Lord. You are my King. You are my God. Make me new starting today. My life is no longer my own. I give it to you. In the name of Jesus Christ, I pray. Amen. Amen and amen. Can we celebrate those who just made a decision for Jesus today? Yes. Yes, we're so proud of you.